The Lord be with you. Let us pray. God, our Creator, when you speak, there is light and life. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may listen to one another, speak the truth in love, and bear much fruit in the service of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Um, we've been working our way through Acts and continuing, and last week we were in uh, chapter 18, and we'll continue in chapter 18, but I wanted to look back a minute to verse 10, and 9 and 10, I guess, just to put it in perspective, um, chapter 18, verse 9, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but Go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And while we talked about not harming and how um, the pro-council, Gallio, in effect when some of the Jews wanted to attack Paul and um, have him... Uh, you know, at least punished physically. Um, he was protected uh, by Gallio, who said, I'm not going to do anything. But another part of that to me was interesting in that Christ told him, I have many in this city who are my people. And, you know, it told Paul, I think, that he needed to not only stay there because he was protected, but he needed to teach because while God had chosen them and knew them, they needed to hear the message of Christ so they could come to Christ through faith. So it had to get that door open, and that was part of why Paul then spent a couple of years in the area, um, or a year and a half, uh, teaching so that it would get unlocked. They would hear, and their faith would then bring them to Christ because they had now heard the message. Moving forward into uh, verse 18 of chapter um, 18, if someone would uh, be kind enough to read um, 18 through 23. Okay, thanks, Ann. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila had appreciated. He had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there but himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he, had handed, when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of, Galilea, of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Thank you. He made a valve and he had his hair cut. That could be something even of thanksgiving that you know, his stay had been, you know, a blessing that, you know, his safe return had been a blessing. The whole missionary uh, journey had been. But in um, 
Numbers, Moses talks about when someone takes a vow, what they were supposed to do, and one of the things had to do with growing their hair, no wine or strong drink, anything like that. And then when it was over, there were certain procedures, one of which was cutting your hair, that they were to follow and do certain sacrifices. Now, Paul would have told you he wasn't under necessarily the law, but he also recognized that some of the Jewish Christians still believed that was important, so Paul was following some of those um, teachings of Moses in Numbers, but uh, it wasn't something he felt bound to do, but he had done that, uh, and then he moved on and he came to Ephesus. He stayed there a while, but he told them, you know, I can't stay even though you want to hear more from me because he was in the synagogue and uh, they wanted to hear more. But he said, you know, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail. And he went down. And this was really kind of the, the end of his second um, missionary trip. And he was headed on down to Jerusalem. And the reason I say that is it said when he landed at Caesarea, he went up. And in talking and going to Jerusalem, regardless of where you were on the compass, and even if you were in a mountain, and a higher mountain than what Jerusalem's on, you always went up, they said, to Jerusalem, and you came down from Jerusalem. And so, in landing at Caesarea, he said he went up and greeted the church. So he went up to Jerusalem and gr greeted the church era, uh, elders and the apostles there in Jerusalem. And then he went down to Antioch, which would have been north, went to Antioch to share with them because that was, in effect, his sponsoring church. So he would have gone there to give them an update on what had transpired during the last couple of years while he was in um, Macedonia and uh, since he had last seen them. See, yes, sir? One interesting thing here, it doesn't have anything to do with the lesson, but it mentioned about... Uh, setting sail from Ephesus. Ephesus is, is no longer a seaport and hasn't been for a long time. The seaways uh, silted up and closed completely. In fact, okay. Sula and I were there about 10 years ago and okay. commented on that fact that uh, Ephesus is a landlocked city now. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Um, so, um, Paul left, he was teaching them, and, you know, went through the region, you know, some of the churches near um, Antioch, but he headed up into Galatia, Nephargia, and there, that would have been part of the early stages of his uh, third missionary trip. Luke may have not been with him. Luke didn't want to, you know, as a writer, saw greater emphasis and importance and getting him on to the next journey as opposed to the, the kind of visiting and getting started and anything like that. So now we start at verse uh, 24 and looking at 24 through um, 28. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus and he, had an, he was an eloquent man completely competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being very reverent, 
in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately of the things concerning Jesus, although he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of the Lord more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Acacia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. Apollos, being from Alexandria, that was one of the most learned cities in the Roman world. It had a library that was, there wasn't anything comparable really to it. it they had, the people in Alexandria had really made an effort to build a pretty inclusive library. And, you know, obviously it had a lot of manuscripts and both from a religious nature or historical, cultural, from just, you know, particularly the Eastern Mediterranean world, but it would have had Roman stuff there also. So he would have been exposed to the... Um, the teachings, and one of the more complete and probably more what Jesus would have read as a young boy, the, the translation scriptures would have been something that would have been prepared and about written, translated in about 200 B.C. So having exposure to that, he, he was very obviously learned. He had spent time in reading the scriptures, you know, we don't necessarily know if he was Jewish or just a learning man that that had become an emphasis of his study, but he had learned about the Lord and was very excited about it, had a lot of enthusiasm that was, um, had a real spiritual nature to it. And he taught accurately the things that were about Jesus, but he only understood the baptism of John the Baptist, that of repentance, and did not know of probably Christ's death, resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Now, you have to assume he probably knew something about the Holy Spirit only because, depending on what he knew of John, John preached that the one that came after him would be the Messiah. And so that there was something more. And so while he was talking about, you know, the Messiah coming and, and pointing to him and what was in Scripture, he didn't have it all quite, you know, as it related to uh, the baptism in which Christ had promised us of the Holy Spirit coming. And so, you know, Priscilla and her husband, who had been with Paul, pulled them aside. They didn't just stand up in the congregation or in the synagogue and say, hey, look, you got it, you're close, but you're not all the way there. They pulled him aside, and it says here, more accurately. So it wasn't that Apollos was doing, you know, preaching something that was wrong. He just had 90% of it, say. And so they helped him get to 100%. And so his message became more complete and 
he went about and, uh, you know, they sent him on uh, to another province of which Corinth would have been the, the capital city, so to speak. And there he taught and continued what Paul had been doing. And in fact, in um, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 4, Paul makes the comment in his um, letter to the Corinthians. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So he, Paul acknowledged the work that Apollos had done there and, you know, how important that it was. You know, he let the Corinthians know, you know, I got you started. <clears throat> Apollos picked up the ball, but it was God who did it. And so, you know, he, he went about and, you know, refuted the Jews in public. Well, you know, that became so much of the time, and then Paul, and we'll see it continuously as we go through this next missionary journey of his, about sharing, starting in the synagogue, and then something happens, some of them go, wait a minute, he gets pushed out, he goes to the Gentiles. And some of the Jews follow him, others don't. But Apollos here, he didn't have a problem talking to him. He was very learned. He could do it. So he did it. And, uh, you know, that's what allowed him to um, continue in his, um, his work uh, because he had gotten the more accurate, complete message of the gospel. And obviously why it doesn't say here, he would have, you know, received the baptism uh, of the Holy Spirit because he wouldn't have been uh, able to be so powerful in what he did without that. Uh, now looking and moving into uh, chapter um, 19, um, if someone would be kind just to read 1 through 7 of chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. Okay, thanks, Ella. And it happened that while Apollos was at college, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then will you baptize? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. They were about, there were about 12 men in all. Thank you. So Paul is back up in Ephesus. You know, when he was there at the end of his trip, he said, I'll come if the Holy Spirit leads me. If God's will is, I will. Well, it was God's will. So he was back there, and there were people there that were teaching. And so he asked the, uh, the same question that had been asked of others, you know, do you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they didn't know what the Holy Spirit was, and uh, so then he asked them how they were baptized. 
Well, it was in John the Baptist, that of repentance. And so Paul shared with them what was going on, what needed to happen. Um, now, some people, particularly the Pentecostals, really see becoming one with Christ is a two-step process that comes through faith and believing and then the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Now, other, and other than a couple of situations in Acts, obviously at Pentecost, when Peter first went up to Samaria and maybe one or two other occasions, when somebody was baptized, we don't have prophesying and speaking in tongues. It's not something that's necessary to come to Christ, but we had here something special in that Paul had laid his hands on them. It wasn't just being baptized. It was a hand laying, and it was to show the apostolic nature of this and just kind of sharing it. But it also provided a bold witness to those around what was happening. I mean, think about it at Pentecost. When people started speaking in tongues and prophesying, a lot of people took notice. And it led to an opportunity for Peter to share the gospel. Even, even more were baptized. You know, there are certain steps involved in the, you know, we have to recognize our need and repent, accept Christ, uh, be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. But all those don't necessarily have to follow a neat order. Sometimes they're kind of right there together. Sometimes they, you know, obviously with our children, we baptize them, and then, you know, at a certain point in time, they accept that baptism. What does it mean when it says baptized by fire or with fire? That's uh, more the, uh, you know, at uh, Pentecost, they appear to have like flames on their head, and that, you know, like fire. Okay, I, I'm just, in Luke it says he will, he, uh, his story is that he will, he will, uh, Baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire, coming to Jesus, and I didn't know what that. I, I think that's what it is. It's more that uh, you know it appeared that they have flames of fire on their head after um, you know they are at day of Pentecost and they were baptized. Um, I don't think it's actually you know you got a flamethrower burning down on them. Um, then moving into uh, verse um, eight. Um, through 10. Um, and he entered the synagogue, Paul, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greek. So Paul, as usual, was going into the synagogue. He was reasoning with them. He was taking them through the scripture, the Old Testament, and how it pointed to Christ and sharing that Christ was the Messiah. And it's happened so frequently in his journeys into the synagogue there were some of them that became stubborn and, you know, know you got it all wrong, you don't know what you're talking about, and became problematic. And it says here, you know, speaking evil of the way, with way being capitalized, and that was kind of, 
That was primarily in the early years of the church what it was known as, the way. The way. And so that's how Luke's referring to it right now. But he then withdrew and took him to the hall of Tyrannus. Well, this was probably uh, kind of almost like a lecture hall, and it probably belonged to some teacher, instructor, person who allowed Paul and his followers to use it because most teaching, if you will, then would have been done early in the morning. But also in that area, because the heat of the day is so hot, a lot of people did not work per se. They came indoors, got out of the sun, got out of the heat. So during the midday period of light, Paul would have used this hall to share with his disciples. And it said he stayed there for two years and that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So there were some Jews that were, you know, accepted the message, wanted to know more, wanted to understand. And then as we've talked before, the Greeks, the Gentiles, were hearing God fears. And all the residents of Asia, well, Paul would have sent out teams to go into other nearby areas and share the word. And some of those people would come back. You know, there was kind of an in and out and whatnot, but this was like the home church here in Ephesus. And so Paul stayed there two years because these people wanted to learn and hear, whereas in Corinth there was a good bit of resistance that built up, even though he built a church there. And Apollos was there and others were there. They weren't as eager and as accepting as the people were in Ephesus. You know, they wanted him to stay when he was there at the latter part of his uh, second missionary trip and then the early part of his third. They're there. They're wanting to hear. They're wanting to learn. They're wanting to grow. They're moving forward with what Paul's teaching them, their understanding of Christ, their level of faith. So they're, they're moving um, and learning. And when they say Asia, from a practical standpoint, that's other areas of Turkey. That's, you know, uh, tradition has it like uh, Thomas the Apostle headed all the way to India. Well, that's really part of Asia, but so when Luke's using it here, he's really talking about in other parts of Turkey. And so that's where, because Paul, for the most part, the only place in Asia he really would have been was in, um, and Asia was also a province area of what is now Turkey. That's what it was called. And so um, here again, that's how Luke was using the term. Then moving over to verse 11 through 20. Yes. We have another story. And maybe Mike, would you mind reading 11 through 20? And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. 
seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Thank you. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Luke's wanting us to know these were really some, you know, miracles almost that were above and beyond what Paul, you know, Luke may have seen Paul involved with previous. God was using Paul to really help people see what was going on. So while it's read a while ago how Paul had had a vision in Corinth, where the Lord told him to stay and he would protect him. Here in Ephesus, Paul was getting encouragement because of the miracles God was doing through him. So he knew he needed to continue, if you will, in his ministry there. And it was similar to almost, if you'll recall, the woman who wanted to just touch Christ's garment and knowing she would be healed. Well, you know, it's not that these, you know, handkerchiefs and aprons, which would probably have been uh, potentially, say, uh, Paul's tent-making apron of a man working with leather or whatnot would have had and used, um, that had been with Paul, and since the Holy Spirit was so with him, apparently the presence, so to speak, of the Holy Spirit would have kind of remain for a period of time with that piece of cloth or whatever, such that the person touching it felt power of, you know, evil spirits, leaving them diseases, uh, being cured. And so people were really drawn to that. They understood it, and it was a powerful message of showing the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why, you know, if you will, uh, Luke was talking about they were just, you hate to say ordinary miracles of things Paul would have done and the other apostles uh, being uh, doing with the help of the Holy Spirit, the guidance. These were ones that were, you know, I guess if you had to make a list, they would be the ones you put, it, put down as one, two, and three as opposed to seven, eight, and nine maybe. But they then attracted people who were exorcists and were doing, um, trying to exorcise evil spirits from people, demons and whatnot, and where Christ could just look at a person and say, get out of this person. Um, and how they ran and infected the pigs and went off the cliff and other things like that. They were 
It's not, well, gee, Paul's doing this. Maybe I need to try this. So, you know, they say they do it in the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Well, I'm just trying to pick up what Paul's doing and trying to piggyback on that and what I've been doing. And so the high priest, Siva's uh, son, sons, they tried to get in on that, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, who are you? You know, because even the spirits knew who Christ was and they were scared of him. So that's why when they say, I know who Christ is. And I know who Paul is. And I recognize him and I know what's going on, but I don't know who you are. And it was kind of a reverse. They were wanting to go in and exercise spirits and they are the ones that more or less got exercised. Because the battle between you know, it says they were overpowered such that when they fled the house and were wounded, being naked was a sign of total humiliation. So the people that would have known what they did and known what they were, you know, going into this house to do and what had happened to them, it, it got their attention. Something's going on. And fear came upon people. And Jesus' name was, you know, magnified even more to the extent that a lot of those who had used, you know, formulas and sayings, and as I was reading through this, I thought about, you know, various things you read about medieval times and the, the witches and things like that. They had their books and what brew for this, that, and the other. Well, that was almost what these were because somebody would have written down, you know, this particular thing worked in this situation so others would know it. And so it was kind of like their guidebooks when they were going in and practicing their magic arts as opposed to miracles from the Holy Spirit. And they confessed, they repented, and what they did was got, get rid of the books so it's not even a temptation for them to fall back because they burned the books. So they don't have their magic formula book anymore to do their seance or, you know, mix the magic brew. And it says that these had a value of 50,000 pieces of silver, which are probably the drachmas. And if you translate that to, you know, today's value, we're talking several million dollars effectively thrown in a fire. You know, it's not like picking up the latest John Grisham book. You've read it, now you, oh, there's a book burning, so you throw in your John Grisham book, but your special um, first edition signed um, of, um, you know, somebody um, else, you keep that one back. No, they got rid of everything. And so, you know, that's a, a real, if you will, they gave up something. I mean, cause, you know, we don't know how many people it was, but still, 50,000 pieces of silver at any point in time is a lot. And so they disposed of it, and the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Then we get to verses 21 through um, 
40, 23 through 41. And if you don't mind, I'm just instead of reading it all, just kind of walk us through what happened is um, Paul decided to move through and move toward Macedonia, which would have been in parts of what we know as Greece. And then to go on to Jerusalem saying, after that, I must go to Rome. So Paul has got big visions of what he needs to do. And in going to Jerusalem, he was always going back to report to the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem what he had been doing, the growth of the church in those areas where he had been. Now, there arose uh, a disturbance concerning the way, it says in verse 23, that a man named Demarius, who was a silversmith and probably head of the guild at that point in time, got upset about. Because with Paul's preaching, the silver shrines that they built to their god Artemis, or the shrines of Artemis, all of a sudden kind of, slacken the business they had. They were having their own little recession, so to speak, because of what Paul was doing. They didn't, you know, people that were coming to Christ didn't need silver shrines in their house as many altars. And so they were losing business. And so what he was concerned about, not so much the message of what Paul was preaching, but the economic impact on himself and others. So he gets the people riled up, the other craftsmen, journeymen, against Paul and wants to, you know, capture him, take him and do something to him, rough him up and whatnot. And so they took him to the amphitheater, if you will, and started talking about greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. And that just became a shouting... Um, you know, you rile the crowd up, you get the, th uh, the crowd going, and it just becomes everybody's saying what everybody else is saying, even though some of them probably don't understand it. Well, one of the Jewish leaders got up to make a comment, probably to separate the Jews from people of the way, because so many of people did associate the early Christians with the Jews, that... It was like, leave us alone. We're not part of this. Well, they not only, they in fact booed him down. They just got even louder shouting, great as Artemis. And finally, the person who was the town clerk got up, and in these amphitheaters, we're talking multiple thousands of people. It's like going to the BJCC, if not a bigger stadium environment. And he's saying, wait a minute, we can't do this. You know, you have a concern, but what you're bringing up, if it's criminal, you need to take it to the pro-council. You know, that's what the Corinthians had done in that they had brought Paul before the pro-council, uh, Gallio, who said, he hadn't done anything wrong. And I'm not going to get in the middle of the way of, of a disagreement between the two of y'all. It's not criminal. It's, it's outside of what I'm supposed to be doing. So... The town clerk is telling Demetrius and the other people that are really insightful, if they've got a problem, they need to bring up a criminal charge. But if it's something civil, they need to do it in a regularly scheduled 
town meeting, if you will, but what they're doing could be considered a riot by the Roman authorities, and that's going to create problems for all of us. And at that point, they shut up and went home. Probably after several hours of screaming, great as Artemis, you're not going to have much voice left anyway, because I think, um, you know, you go over to Tuscaloosa or, you know, uh, any school that won yesterday, and a lot of them are going to be, you know, it's kind of hard to hear them because they're hoarse. And it, you can't holler at a certain point in time. So they left, and they went home. Next week, we will pick up with Paul in Macedonia and Greece. And until then, have a great week. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, Steve.